Hello and welcome to Why Are You Already Laughing? <laughs> That's not the name of the show. That's not the name of the show. What? Am I supposed to just open? I'm not, I don't say hello, I just open by announcing the name of the show. Is that what you want? No, that's not what I want. I just start again. By the way, with Rob and Leo, hello and welcome to. <laughs> like Yoda. Rob Frimston, I am uh, in on this particular occasion your host and interviewer, I suppose, and my interviewee and co-host, you'll never guess who it is, it's Leo West. Oh, Leo West, where is he? He's West. Hey, that's, I'm actually, look what you've done. I just kicked him. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm also actually north of you right now, so. Oh, am I facing north? You are facing north. That is my preferred... Those are north-facing windows. Uh, okay. I'm looking at windows, folks. I can see... I shouldn't say what I can see. <laughs> no, you should can piece together where I live. If I mention the one significant landmark that I can see quite some distance away, people will know your exact location. Well, also, if you knew the name of that less significant landmark that you can see there, the... Uh, oh, right, yes, no, I don't know what that is. Good. Probably um, probably for the best. I caught a Farfetch there earlier today. You're still playing Pokemon Go? Of course I am. It ha- is it just you now? No, no, it's it's actually not. Um, interesting story uh, that will date this podcast quite, quite accurately. And anybody who's paying attention will therefore be able to work out how erratically we record these. There's been an extended hiatus. There has. Not not for for lack of you know desire, we both that's true. No, Burn no, to be here, absolutely yes. in our waking moments. And I and as you know, because I occasionally message you about it, have will occasionally go back and listen to old episodes and thoroughly enjoy them. Mm. Absolutely, and uh, your immediate friends are amongst our strongest fan base. Basically, when you say immediate friends. I don't know if that phrase works in the same way. If you said immediate family, I would understand what you meant. What does immediate friends well, as mean? A, as opposed to, like, acquaintances that you had three or four oh, years ago. Oh, what you mean is friends. <laughs> no. I mean, friends you'd see often. Yeah, friends. Close friends, then. Fine. That makes more sense. <laughs> I'll take that. Well, what what's another word for... Say, say I was giving you directions, and then close after... You made a left turn. You had to make a right turn. You might say, "If you said that, that right you, turn was you, immediate." If you use the phrase <laughs> "close after you've taken a right turn, you've got to take a left turn," I think to myself, "His grammar's gone off the boil." Exactly. But if I said immediately after you take the left turn, you have to take a right turn, you'd be like, "Oh, that makes perfect sense." Yeah, but the first one didn't. So Therefore, the point immediate is that friends. Difference. Immediate friends. If you said that to me, I'd sit you down and go, "Are you all right? <laughs> What's going on?" Or maybe you should. What is going on, Rob? We, after an an, 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 an unspecified oh, was, period of time... I was going to tell you that over the last few days, three billion Pokemon have been caught on Pokemon Go worldwide. That's what I was going to tell you. Wow. I'd, I'd like to uh, throw some shade about the amount of time people have on their hands, but as will become apparent ne- <laughs> next week... <laughs> we'll learn how much time I have on my hand, so that's all fine. Uh, and what we're going to do is, uh, regarding the subject of what landmark I can see out of your window, we're just going to slide away from that issue and move on to another one. Okay, what issue would you like to move on no, to? Nobody will figure it out from that. Oh, uh, Robert, why did you do that? Why <laughs> did you do that? But no one will get it. No one will know. Write in. Just, that's just for us. Email Robert if you get it. We're out, we are in a sense present, physically if not, uh, if not mentally or spiritually. And what 
dear Leo, are we talking about today? Well, Rob, I wanted to chat to you about Lloyds of London. Lloyds of London. And now, they don't call themselves Lloyds of London anymore, but I refer to them as Lloyds of London for an important distinction. What do they now refer to themselves Well, they as? are now the Lloyds Corporation. But the problem is, people mix them up with Lloyds Banking Group. <laughs> Lloyds Bank. All the time. Which is no longer Lloyds TSB. No, TSB is now a separate entity. I don't know what happened there. It's a reverse merger, I guess. What's the reverse of a merger? A, a parting of the ways? An emerger? A, a, a split? A breakup. Yeah. Yeah. A messy breakup. A divorce. And sometimes they're still very close to each other on, on, on the high streets. So yeah, that they must are. Be unfortunate. They are. Good, well, that's. Anyway, important. That's that bank <laughs> relationship analogy nailed. We've got that one in the vault. So, Lloyd's Corporation is, of course, as we all know, an insurance company. No, Rob, it's not. Oh, what? Now, see, what I. What, what's. What I think is a little bit unfair there is that until I had explained to you the exact nature of the Lloyd's marketplace, uh, you still thought they were an insurance company, that, did you not? That, that's, that's, let's draw back the curtain here. You and I have had some form of discussion about this before, yeah. and yes, indeed, I was harbouring under the, uh, the, the ill-conceived delusion the that pop, Lloyd's... The popular Popularly ill-conceived delusion... That Lloyd's was an insurance company, and you uh, quite rightly spat in my face. <laughs> no, I didn't. And said, no, it isn't. No, I explained. missed your face. It hit, hit you somewhere in the top of your chest, if you remember. That's... Oh, it's nice that you missed my face. Aww. Anyway, the difference, the key difference in telling apart Lloyd's Banking Group and Lloyd's Corporation, or Lloyd's of London, is where the apostrophe is. As in, Lloyds of London has a possessive apostrophe at the end of the word Lloyds, and Lloyds Banking Group has no apostrophe. Oh. Right. So when you said it's where the apostrophe is, what you meant is it's whether it has an apostrophe or not. Well, because the, the problem is, is that you often read in, say, the newspapers or the daily journals... Uh, you will often read about Lloyds Banking Group and the things that they possess. So there will be a possessive apostrophe behind the word, if you see, at the end of the word. Right. But... Which is the same place it is in Lloyd's... No. It's the other side of the S. So it's Lloyd... It, it is the insurance company of Lloyd. Is that right? Well, it's not an insurance company for a start. Well, I'm going to keep saying that because... It's a corporation of Edward Lloyd. Well, it's right. named after Edward Lloyd. Anyway, after his coffee house, which opened in 18... Uh, sorry, 1686. 1686. Why on earth... Uh-huh. I assume we're going to come back to why it's not an insurance company. Oh, no, well, we can address these points in whatever order you desire. Why would anyone name a thing that is not an insurance company after a chap's 17th coffee century house. coffee house? Well, OK, we'll come back to that, shall we? First, let's let's just... We'll table that one. You put that one. <laughs> I like what's happened here is you've said to me we can address these issues in whichever order you wish. I have asked you a direct question. You've gone excellent. That's the question that we'll table. <laughs> okay, fine. No, no, fine. no, 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 <laughs> no, no. It's named after a coffee house because it started uh, in a coffee house in a way. So before coffee houses came to Britain in the 1650s. Uh, Businessmen. At the same time as coffee, presumably. Yeah, well, uh, businessmen tended to do their business uh, pretty much in the streets. Because you may know, in streets or taverns or inns, indeed, you may know that the first purpose-built office block didn't reach the city, the square mile, until East India House, which... Uh, I believe was the 1800s. I assume this was the, the headquarters of the East India... The Dutch East India Trading yeah. Company. Yeah, as far and as that was on right. Leadenhall Street, right? That was on Leadenhall Street. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Leadenhall Street. Yeah. Um, I got confused there for a second because Lloyd's Coffee House opened on what is now Lombard Street. Right. Um, so you said the L sound, and in my head I was like, no, Lombard Street. But yes, no, Leadenhall Street. <clears throat> anyway, before then, businessmen were looking for places to do their business, man, and. Sorry, 
it's it's not even my pun. It, it's 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 Andy Warhol's pun. I'm sorry. If you could see the look he's giving me now, listeners. If you're listening, Andy Warhol, please email in (laughs) your displeasure and I'll make sure Leo reads it. So, Edward Lloyd. So, uh, about 80 coffee houses opened over a very short period of time. They they were incredibly popular uh, throughout the city. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine coffee houses being popular. Imagine 80 coffee houses suddenly opening overnight within one square mile of each other. Hmm? See the visual comedy here is he's drinking coffee. That's you. Oh, no, oh, oh, right. That was I was just going for you know Starbucks and that, innit? <laughs> Starbucks and that. Listen, innit? when I do satire, I like to do it uh, on the nose and uh, ten to fifteen years too late. Right. Catch is not very popular, is she? <laughs> that, even that is <laughs> that's not fifteen years late. That's, 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 that's very late. That's me. That's me doing late satire. <laughs> You should you you need to get those prime John Major jokes out or something. Oh, he's know. bland. <laughs> Look at his glasses, what a grey eh? man. Hey. Anyway, what were you saying? Eight, about eight... fifty shades of grey. What's that? A description of uh, John Major's wardrobe. <laughs> now you see the problem with that is <laughs> it mixes. It, it, it mixes. It's it mixes. Anachronistic. But even the contemporary one is still too late. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could so, have, what, I, so what we're saying I is you're been, terrible at satire. What we're saying is I could have been a great satirist if if, 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 if not for the born. fact that I, I have no idea of anything that's happened in the last <laughs> 36 months. <laughs> it's a shame. You, you've got, listen, in a few years' time, you've got a whole treasure trove coming <laughs> up in front of you. Why is there something going on? <laughs> there, there are a few things. Really? There are a few things that have happened this year. Oh, man. You might, yeah. You wait, mate. You wait. <laughs> Am I in for a good time? You're in for a... Well, so, it, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Um, anyway, Ed, Edward Lloyd's Coffee House. Yes. We, we've barely spoken about Lloyd's. We're about ten minutes into the podcast. We're, we're, yeah. We're, we're, oh, yeah, we're, so we're, we're on, all, track. We're this on is, track. This is par for the course. <laughs> um, basically, Lloyd's noticed that because of the positioning of his coffee house, he tended to be patronised by... Uh, sailors and uh, merchants and people who are to do with ships and navy and things like that. So, <clears throat> as a unique selling point, he decided to get the best up-to-date information on ships that he could, because coffee houses were, like, just naturally a great place to gossip. Now, naturally from this, businessmen who were interested in naval Concerns. Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. Yes. You might have to define that one. Oh, scuttlebutt is just a term for rumour, hearsay. Which I... Sure. I don't know if it has naval connections. Kind of sounds like maybe it It does. It sounds like it does. It's just a word I like. And I've said it. You've said it now. It's on the table. There's no table between us. There's no table. But there's a... Well, there's a suggested table. There is, in fact, scuttlebutt. Yes, us. that's that's all we've got. Can I ask two quick questions? None of which are at all relevant. Okay, <laughs> why not? Uh, when when did the phrase "unique selling point" or USP come into popularity? I don't know. And some sometime after it was a designated name for a military pistol. What now? Why would it, why would you call a pistol a unique selling point? No, no, no. It, it wasn't. Is uh, I think universal service pistol. I don't know. I'm oh, making the that same up. acronym. The same acronym. Uh, secondly, where, uh, what, what is Wait, the... how did you manage to condescend me with that? That, ah, <laughs> that leads into my second question. Where, uh, what, why is the word patronised, as in to be a patron of, when did that become the meaning of condescending? I actually don't know that either, and that, that question did flash across my brain as I said the word. Yeah, I've never got that. We should maybe look at, into that. Okay. We should get the boys on it. No, get Andy, oh, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol, if you're listening, um, if you could, when emailing your displeasure about Leo, if you could also provide a sort of brief summary Do of why Google. the word like patronised and patronised, what what the deal is there. Hmm. You should know of all people. Cheers, Andy. <laughs> so, wait, was that a dick? Was that another dick, at Andy Warhol? <laughs> it was. I'm so sorry, Andy. Like... <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk about Edward Lloyd. 
coffee house and the scuttlebutt the, that businessmen would go to get there about right, shipping. Sure, because he had the most up-to-date information. Uh, and jumping forward in time a little bit, um, by the 1750s, well after Edward Lloyd had died, uh, Lloyd's corporation, or it wasn't a corporation then, Lloyd's, as an organisation, tended to get mili- uh, military naval information before the British Navy did. And How? They, they, they're just that good. <laughs> they're just that good, mate. I have, a, I have a pun for you. Oh, go on. The businessman would go to Edward Lloyd's coffee house to do a spot of navel gazing. I did actually really appreciate that. Uh, in that case, I wish I'd said it spontaneously. And, and you, you'd have two, got a two laugh. to three minutes after I thought of it. You'd have got a laugh. You're on yeah. a roll. Well, there we are. Thank you for not interrupting my roll with lettuce. Thank you for patronising me. A word where That's we, all right, we don't know That's the all right. origins That's of all right. I'll patronise you any time. Good. Right. God so damn it. Edward Lloyd yeah. and his chums <clears throat> mm-hmm. became better naval intelligence officers than the British Navy's yeah. intelligence officers. Yeah. And at one point, they were informing 10 Downing Street of military losses. <laughs> I mean, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You and get a uh, call from Lloyd's <laughs> Coffee House. How would they just go round? Well, it would, yeah. Knock, knock. By the way, mate. Hello, Mr. Prime Minister of this era. Um, listen, I work in that they coffee that shop important. in the city. Well, actually, uh, one of the leading underwriters who we might actually come back to later at the time, uh, John Julius Angerstein, was really good friends with William Pitt the Younger, as well as George the Third. Well, there you go. So, that's how. Okay. Have we skipped ahead a little bit here? Because we you have. described we John have. Jacob Angerstein? Uh, Julius. John Julius Angerstein as an underwriter. Yes, we've skipped miles ahead. Yes. I did say skipping ahead in, in, in history. Right, but I feel, like just... there's, I feel like there's some terminology things that have been lost along the way. Right, okay, so you'd like me to... What, explain what an underwriter is? Well, hang on, just... so, so where, where we are so far in my understanding... Yeah, I, uh, just, I have just one more point about how good Lloyds are what? at intelligence gathering. They're so, they were so well known for it that by the time Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, the way uh, Van Helsing and his crew get information on Dracula's ship is through postings at Lloyds. Ha! Huh. There you go. It's, he's in the novel, or Lloyds are in the novel. Good old Bram. Bram. Bram Flakes. I'm as so I, sorry, Mr. Stoker, if you're listening. <laughs> he lives with Andy Warhol. They listen to it together. Okay, so what... We, so <laughs> I, I can't get... The, the picture in my head is distinctly Mighty Boosh-like. Yeah, it, it, would, be, it, would, be a, it would be a weird sitcom, and I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> I probably would watch a couple of episodes. Maybe if I was very tired. (laughs) Okay. Well, that feels like damning with faint praise, but uh, (laughs) never mind. Draw a line for me. Okay. With words. Of how we get from a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. which is... So, hang on. Initially, they're gathering naval intelligence just to basically sell more coffee. Yes. Initially. And how does that become insurance? Uh, Because it just organically specialises um, and eventually people were there so often and there were regulars so often that the waiters at the coffee house would reserve tables for them which of course Edward Lloyd then saw as an opportunity you pay to reserve your, uh, your table um, and then the tables that were reserved for businessmen became a separate room and then they became known as boxes uh, somewhere along the line, because of the high-backed wooden benches mm. that these tables would have, like those kind of booths. Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of like a diner's booth. Yeah, uh, but made out of wood. Uh, they they remind me strikingly of uh, uh, church pews. Actually. Yeah, there are many pubs that still have them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Throwbacks, as it were. Uh, the first mention of it being. A subscription service is in 1757, where somebody mentions that they paid two guineas to subscribe to uh, the paper and attach themselves to a box. See, at this point, Lloyd's has uh, 
started publishing its own little newspaper you about guest what there you are, about uh, military uh, sorry naval intelligence and uh, just to be absolutely clear this intelligence is not only about stuff that interested Lloyds. This is not just ships that have been uh, patronised by Lloyds, to use that word again, uh, or insured by Lloyds. They, to this day, gather all information about all ship losses uh, and other things in the world. So, if I... Of, of what? But of certainly of a certain size, I assume. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. If I, you, you've got to, you've got to be a ship, if not I a took boat. A small rowing boat. You've got to be a ship, not a boat. Rowed it out into the North Sea, deliberately sank it, and then <laughs> swam back to the shore. Of which I am more than capable. <laughs> <laughs> Would I end up in the Lloyd's book? No, you wouldn't. No. no. Well, the lost book. Well, in that case, I wish I hadn't done it. The, <laughs> the lost book, as it's called. Right, Lloyd's okay. Lost Book. And there is, they have a Lloyd's Lost Book for every year back to 1774. Wow. Yeah. Which is, by no coincidence, the same year that Lloyd's actually moved into the Royal Exchange Building. But again, our chronology is all over the place here. I still haven't actually drawn you that line yet. We are, we are throwing, imagine, like... It's like the clock is a dartboard. It's wibbly wobbly. We're in all over the place. Timey wimey. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I've just finished reading a book about how space time is actually covariant quantum fields, um, and time does not flow in the way that we really think it does. It, it is more a cloud of probabilities on the quantum scale. Oh, well, it's a good thing you started that sentence with the word interestingly. <laughs> Because otherwise you'd have switched <laughs> off, yeah? <laughs> otherwise, absolutely. <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't have known it was interesting. <laughs> it's good that you, you let me know it was going somewhere. <laughs> what I still don't understand is at what point this crowded coffee shop full of people trying to hear the latest maritime gossip mm-hmm. becomes an insu- doesn't become an insurance Insu- it becomes an insurance marketplace and this this going back to that earlier question that we tabled um this might well, we're bringing that off the table we're bringing that off the table into play now okay um that might help explain how lloyds is not an insurance company it's a marketplace for insurance companies right so it's where all the biggest uh, insurance companies will go to fight it out over, nowadays, over unique and large risks. Right. Things like, well, I have some interesting ones here, uh, if, if you want. Of um, they, uh, and this is just touching on some interesting points in history, jumping forward in time again. Um, for instance, the very first car policy... Uh, was right. at Lloyd's of London in 1904. Right. Uh, up until that point, they had almost exclusively, up until the mid-19th century, in fact, they almost exclusively dealt in maritime insurance. Uh, and it was a chap called Cuthbert Heath uh, who started breaking them out into non-maritime risks. Um, so they actually didn't know how to approach the car. Uh, and so the contracts refer to it as a ship navigating on land. Wow. Yeah, that's that's they are how, idiots. That's how specialised it was. Oh, it's a, it's a, so it's a boat. <laughs> but it doesn't go on the water. It goes on the land. A land boat. <laughs> I assume that's what they'll be called. <laughs> was that their first non-naval risk? No. The first non-naval risk was uh, a, f- a couple of decades before that. Uh, it was Cuthbert Heath, though. Um, and it wa- he was offered the opportunity to reinsure a fire risk, uh, which he took. And that was the first, as I understand it, the first non-marine risk was a fire insurance policy. And just out of interest... At Lloyd's. At Lloyd's, sure. that should be clear. Yes. And why... I mean, you might not know the answer to this, but why would somebody who needed reinsurance for fire risk go 
to an exclusively marine-based insurance marketplace. Because they have an incredibly good reputation. Sure, they specialise in marine, but they always pay out. Uh, And they pay out within 30 days, and if your claim is legitimate... And in fact, during this period, they had from from, uh, the San Francisco earthquake through to Titanic, they had a couple of really big prob- like losses. Hmm. Uh, the San Francisco earthquake, in fact, uh, they paid out $50 million uh, of, yeah, which is about a billion dollars nowadays. And what was the premium? I don't know. Oh, but that was multiple risks. Right. Multiple buildings. And the Titanic was £1 million, uh, pounds, which we've we discussed before. Uh, which nowadays would be about ninety-five million. Pounds. So they insured the Titanic. They insured the Titanic. I assume we're going to come back to that. Well, we can, yeah, if you want, sure. I think that's. I think that seems worth talking about. <laughs> um, and they've also insured uh, in more recent years the first satellite. Oh right. Uh, the first. Uh, it was called Intersat One. So it's a boat, but it goes in space. <laughs> A space boat, I, a space, I assume, is what they'll be called. A space, yeah, a space boat. <laughs> I mean, you're half right. What I've learned here is that these Lloyds people f***ing love boats. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where their business started. Well, quite. And, and they, they do, are they not also famous for taking on certain sort of quite, uh, I don't like stuff. the word, but wacky, wacky. celebrity risks? I do, celebrity risks is a good way of putting it, yeah. Um, probably the first really famous one was in the 1930s where they insured Betty Grable's legs for one million dollars. Each or uh, for the pair? No, for the pair. Right. Uh, which is why she then walked around, pun intended, with the nickname Million Dollar Legs. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not a clever nickname, is it? No. It was the 1930s. So listen, they insured their legs for a million dollars. So I thought of a great nickname. Million dollar legs. Listen, it was the Great Depression. All you've done, all you've done, Tony, is you've taken the information and repeated it. There is no wit present in what has happened. No one, no one listen again. I don't think you understand. You know Betty Grable? I do, Tony. I know. We have been over this 15 times now. I know who Betty Grable is. I, I understand. Some f***s in London insure their legs. One million dollars. You're calling a million dollar legs. All I'm saying is, this is a very much an A to B logical situation. No, it's not that. It's A to A. You haven't changed anything. It's lazy. I, so is this now? <laughs> Sorry, I'm this just is now fun. <laughs> this is now a 1930s Chicago radio drama. Oh uh, yes, that's that's what we're doing now. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> More recently, they've done famously Ken Dodd's teeth. Yes, teeth, I four million pounds. Um, uh, Bob Dylan's vocal cords. Bob Dylan's vocal cords. Keith Richards's fingers. Oh right. Um, Michael Flatley and David Beckham, much like Betty Grable have both had their legs insured. <laughs> it seemed like a weird double act. Michael Flatley and David Beckham. They live next door to Andy Warhol and Bram Stoker. <laughs> How much did Michael Flatley's I, I and wish, David Beckham's legs get I, I wish you hadn't asked me that, because I don't actually know. All you need to do, very simple, go to Chicago, and <laughs> find anyone on the street and say, have you heard of that David Beckham? And they'll go, oh, what? You mean five million dollar legs? <laughs> and then fly home. There we go. Here's an interesting one. Um, James Dean took out life insurance I there. Do you? Yeah. James Dean took out life insurance there for $100,000 a week before he died. Was this treated as suspicious? No. Okay. It wasn't. Not at all. Uh, because, so they paid out. I mean, you know, you're aware of the... Yeah, they did. You're aware of the accident. Yes. It's quite famous. It has its own Wikipedia page. It's that famous. Oh, of course. And... In the trial after the accident, it was ruled as just that. An so it's just, an it was accident. just a massive coincidence. Yeah, taken huge out life coincidence. Huh. He took out hundred thousand dollars life insurance, nineteen fifty-five, I believe, hmm. a week before he died. Wow! At the age of twenty-five. So what was the payout? I don't know. Hundred thousand dollars, I imagine. I don't know how insurance works. I haven't got any insurance policies. Surely they don't just give you back the money you gave to them. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. I'm pretty sure it is, right? Listen, wh- listen what we do <laughs> is you give us some money and we just no, hold wait, on to it. Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. That's Lloyd's Banking Group. Sorry. Right. I got, I got, oh, I got it's the old apostrophe there. problem. Yeah, it's the apostrophe <laughs> problem. Um, while we were talking about famous sort of insurances, mm. Cuthbert Heath insured... Can we just take a moment to no. appreciate the name Cuthbert Heath? Cuthbert Heath. It's a lovely name. It's a great name. I really like John Julius Angerstein as well. It's nice. It's alright. I think the John lets it down. If it was Julius, Julius Angerstein, I'd be more on board with it. Well, um, he was Lloyd's first... Not first, but he sort of cemented the practice of lead underwriting. Um, which I can explain if you want. And in fact, he his he was so good at writing policies that they became known as Julius's. Policies that he wrote were Julius's that and would smells like bullshit. Always get always get a follow on. They would. Oh, it's one of Julius's. Listen, what I do is I call them because <laughs> they were written by Julius. So guess what I call them? Why are we still doing this, Tony? <laughs> Why, why are we doing this? Why are you so obsessed with this f***ing London insurance marketplace? <laughs> was Chicago even a thing in the 1760s? I, I, no I don't know. Like, I know America wasn't a thing in the 1760s. It was New England, mate. Listen, there's a couple of fellas in Chicago. They're immortal. <laughs> They're immortal. One of them's a thorn in the other one's side. And they live across the road <laughs> from Bram Stoker, Andy Warhol, Michael Flatley and David Beckham. So how the market works, I was going to, just before I forget about this, sure. uh, how the market works is uh, you've, you've got this big important thing, say... Which used to be David, a ship David, and now... David Beckham's legs. And now doesn't have to be a ship. Yeah, exactly. It used to be a ship, now doesn't have to be a ship. Um, and you take it in and the market basically uh, competes for the right to write the terms for that insurance policy mm. and whoever wins that right is called the lead underwriter but they do not insure the entire risk they will usually insure about five to ten percent of the risk because if they had to pay out it would bankrupt them exactly and the titanic's a good example of this is that the lead underwriter the titanic of that one million pounds only insured seventy five thousand pounds and then the broker who has secured these terms goes around the market and gets people to sign on, follow on, they're called follow on underwriters, on that same risk. So how many companies in total insure the Titanic? Lots. I actually don't know. I've seen a picture of the document, and if you would want me to guess from memory, it's about 30. Okay. But it, those are not just companies, those are companies, syndicates, and also names, capital N. So, that, so we're talking each one is taking sort of in the like 2 to 5%. Area. Sure. Yeah. Basically. And they all had to pay out. Yep. Because but they the, all had because to pay. the Titanic and the listeners probably won't be aware of this uh, sank. No, it didn't. It was unsinkable. Yeah, but it did. It was unsinkable. So sorry. <laughs> okay. No, uh, and in fact, such was the legend at the time that the Titanic was unsinkable that I'm told the uh, my understanding is that the premium was incredibly small. <laughs> okay. On the Titanic, and they actually made very little money if they insuring were, it. If they were real ballers, they wouldn't have even insured the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Can you imagine the problems that they would have had? <laughs> well, well, I mean, the problem would have been it wouldn't have been insured. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so the market bears the loss as it is. Just, just. So no companies go bankrupt. No businessmen, right. like, go out. Can I just take a little sidebar here? When, because. <laughs> What was deemed as being the cause of the Titanic sinking? Now, let me pause I actually it. don't know. I know why the Titanic sank, but was it was deemed it as being negligence or... on the part of the crew? And if so, I mean, obviously the insurance companies were still liable because they paid out, but was there a clause about, like, crew liability or negligence or anything like that? Maybe not. I mean, we're talking over 100 years ago, um, in fact, there's a really famous case where a ship sank. I can't remember too many details of it. Um, a ship sank and Lloyd's had this long protracted, um, because one of their agents had said.
I'm going to start again at the ship sank. Do it. Okay, Tommy. God damn it, crime, will you never pause? So. <laughs> It'll be on the air 12. So, 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 so a I'm ship. <laughs> and how much they're worth. <laughs> so, a ship sank, and one of the Lloyd's agents said you shouldn't pay out because they took this boat to sea with literal leaks in it. It was, right. not, it was not seaworthy. Okay. And there was a long protracted legal battle over whether they should be allowed to pay out or not. And that actually caused a precedent. That was the first time that the clause was then put in after that. If your ship is not seaworthy and you take it to sea, we're not going to pay you. So presumably, did that also start a precedent of you have to have the ship inspected fully for its seaworthiness before they'll take it on as a Yeah, probably. Yeah. So my point is, is stuff that we take for granted was pioneered by Lloyds hmm. over the years. Because I, I, because what I'm aware of, and I've never done it, and I think it's very I think people have a very naughty, but I'm aware there is such a thing as insurance fraud. Yeah. Which you may have heard of. Which Lloyds sadly uh, did get caught up in uh, in the eighties. There was something of a furora about that. I won't I don't actually know the details too well, um, but Google has them all. Oh as in what as in they paid out on something that turned out to be fraud. No, they took I think basically they took a bunch of the allegations were and I'm sure Lloyds would love me to tell you that everybody who was accused probably doesn't work there anymore. Um because that's what the corporation does nowadays is they regulate the market. Mm-hmm. Um but the allegations were that Lloyd's was aware that there were a bunch of asbestos claims coming up, but when they were selling the reinsurance to people, they didn't mention that. Oh, I see. Right. Sort of an insider trading thing. Okay. I was meaning more insurance fraud on the level of... Sinking a ship. Listen, this ship is more or less sunk already. Let's Let's get a massive insurance, take it out and... Well, like what you alluded to with James Dean's death being suspicious. Yeah, I wish I, 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 I li- I'd like to distance myself from that. I don't want to. I don't want to make it seem like I think that James Dean was the <laughs> Just asking the question. Just bring it up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. In fact, I read a long time ago, and I can't remember the full details, but I read. I'm, you know, I like a conspiracy theory every now and so again. So do I. Yeah. And once I read this crackpot conspiracy theory about the Titanic. The theory being that it would it had been, I think I know the one you're going to say is that I think it was the sister ship. Yeah, the yeah the Olympus, which was also uh, Olympia. Sorry, the Olympia three was there the Britannia as well or the Britannic or something. I don't know. Uh, well, but they, anyway, the Olympia. But, but but the Olympia was also insured at, at Lloyd's because the, the the theory I read I think was something along the lines of they took the Olympia out uninsured, they damaged it to hell. And they thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to switch it with its sister ship, the Titanic. We're going to get it insured as the Titanic. And then we're going to take it out and arrange for it to be sunk and have a rescue boat waiting nearby to pick up all the passengers. And the theory I read is that it collided with its own rescue boat. Oh my god! Sinking both of them. I can't remember the full well, details. Well, I tell you it what, was a crazy theory. I'll and tell I you don't what, think it was true. For the the people, the person we should ask about that is James Cameron, because um, I learned recently uh, in the research for this podcast that James Cameron actually had, oh, and his diving crews have actually spent more time with the Titanic than, than have with their families. <laughs> No, <laughs> then the people of on the Titanic got to spend on the Titanic. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, in in shooting for Titanic. Yeah, and also he's made a documentary as well, hasn't he? Yeah, um, all kinds of stuff. Well, he mostly he mostly made the film to be. Do you know this? He mostly made the film to fund a uh, a diving trip to the Titanic. That man is obsessed. <laughs> At the bottom of the sea. He really is. I re- no, he really... It's genuinely... 
He's a massive nerd about it. And he was like, I'm never going to... After he made the Terminator, he was like, I'm never going to be able to dive down to the Titanic. And then he had this idea. <laughs> what, do you say, what do you say after he made the Terminator? Like, it's that after was what, he made Terminator. But it's after he made Terminator 2. It's like, oh, probably this is I'm never going to get to see the Titanic. <laughs> well, no, because the... the <laughs> yeah, it's my career now. It's not in diving. Mm. But um, the... The, the I, I wish I hadn't made <laughs> this, this pair of very successful movies because now I'll get to see the Titanic. Well, he wrote this Romeo and Juliet story on the Titanic and he pitched it to Hollywood execs and Hollywood, the Hollywood execs were like, well, you're an action director. Where's the... Where's the this is completely different to the Terminator. They, said, want... they said, where's the action? And yeah. Cameron said, have you ever heard of the Titanic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me look it up. And apparently, the only reason they took the took it on was because they wanted to ensure like a working relationship with him down the line when he came back. Nobody well, thought or when this he came movie... back and made eighteen Avatar movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my point is, nobody thought Titanic was going to make any money, right? Um, and essentially, James Cameron pitched it to fund a dive down to uh, the Titanic. And I've yet... also heard that. One of the executive producers of Interstellar essentially helped make or got Interstellar made in order to fund some of the CGI research that they did for Interstellar because they now use that in actual physics, oh. in actual particle physics oh, uh, modelling and stuff. Kip something his name is. I was I was just going to say that, a um, bit, bit of you know random trivia for you, unadjusted for inflation... Titanic remains the second highest grossing movie of all time at the worldwide box office. Exactly. Surpassed only by Avatar. It's not Terminator though, is it? Uh, it isn't, no. Does, doesn't have any action scenes. I think Titanic... I don't know, I think... I, I, I admit I haven't watched it for a long time. I always think it's it, it doesn't deserve the beating that it sometimes gets. No, no I like it. I think it's a good movie. Um, Avatar... On the other hand, I... Um, not, not a fan. What? You don't... You don't... You're not uh, enamoured with uh, Unobtainium... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. And, they, and, and like, 2.8 billion, I think, at the worldwide box office. Oh Nothing is ever going to topple Avatar now. How can it? Um, so, can I just... So, just to clarify, from my own understanding, mm-hmm. when, like, it's a marketplace in the same way that, to use... A farmer's market would be. Yeah, so to yeah. use an analogy, Borough Market is not a food vendor... It is an area in which there are a lot of food vendors. Yeah, and, and what the they same... do is they look after the food vendors, yeah. they regulate it, they make sure they have a safe place, uh, a, a, a dry place, mm-hmm. uh, to display their product, uh, and uh, make sure that crime doesn't happen, etc., etc., etc. Borough Market regulate that space, and yeah. that is what Lloyds of London always have done right. and continue to do. So it is not an insurance company, it is a hub in which it's a, market. a lot of different insurance companies can set up their boxes and yeah. do their business. Yeah. And brokers come to them. Yes, that's true. Because yeah. a broker's basically the liaison between the client and the underwriter. Yeah, so if you've got a big... If you've got a ship, um, you go to your... Bro- I don't, because I rode out into the north. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we've discussed this. That was a rowboat. Um, if you've... A jolly boat. Uh, if <laughs> it's not a jolly anymore. Wait, yeah... If you've got a ship, <laughs> you go to your broker, your broker goes, oh yeah, I know the marine guys over at Hiscox or wherever, and they probably are the best people to do this. Uh, other other underwriters are available. I do not, I am in no way quick, affiliated quick with Hiscox. Quick list three. <laughs> quick list three. Uh, Beasley, uh, XL Catlin, and Atrium. Oh, that'll probably do. There you are. Um, so, d- would the brokers have favourites? I assume they yeah, all yeah, have absolutely. They all know each other. And in fact, it's one of the only like Lloyd's nowadays is one of the only face-to-face marketplaces of its kind. In fact, it is the only face-to-face marketplace of its kind left in the world um, because of the way that it is about insuring big, expensive things or new, innovative things. Um, the current, if you're interested, the current. Uh, cutting edge stuff is about cyber insurance right uh about insuring against hacking and uh against leaks of uh data as well as terrorism it's been a big couple of years for terrorism risks um 
And of course, this year, uh, there's been a shed load of uh, hurricanes, and yeah. that has not been good for the market. But the point is, um, they all specialise, they will have specialist guys, the brokers will know the specialist guys, they'll look at what the client has, and they'll say, this is John is the guy to do this, but Julie's the, guy to, the, the gal to do this. Um, and they'll go around the market, try and get the best terms for their client, they'll take a, a commission, then the thing will get insured on a premium. So they all know each other. They all know each other. They all... And they all... It's so incestuous as well. Um, they all sleeping they, together. Yeah, they're all sleeping together. No, they're not. They, they statistically, all... some of them probably are. <laughs> statistically. They all move jobs all the time, and brokers become underwriters, and underwriters all hate brokers. And, and do underwriters switch companies a lot? Or is that yeah, a bit of a they, switch, they switch companies quite a lot as well. If You, you, you get poached... Uh, with better deals and stuff all the time, or you, with a couple of your mates that you met in the market, you move away and make your own firm. But if if you were poached, presumably you could end up working like three feet away yeah, from oh, where you used to be working. Absolutely, yeah. And you you see them come in and shake hands and go go. Oh no no, no I'm with so and so now. And they go really. When did that happen? I, I've seen that <laughs> twenty minutes ago. <laughs> I've seen those conversations happen. Right, absolutely. So if I were a broker, I'd be like, and you have a ship, yeah. And you want me to get you insurance for your ship. I'd be, I might be like, for example, well, I know the marine guy at insurance company A. Uh, he's he's my favourite one yeah. because you know we play golf. On a Tuesday, and boy, do they play golf! I also, if he's not available, I know the the marine specialist insurance company too. Uh, she's also she's also great, but I know that she won't give you a good terms as the one at insurance company. I think I've missed the A's and ones. A, A A and two insurance company C they Delta. Have, they have the best marine guy, but I think he's a. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't. I think it would be dangerous for me to go, yes, that definitely happens. But it's that kind of thing. But uh, that's probably happened at some point. Right, yes. sure. That you try and give your friends work, don't you? Or just you have better working relationships with some people. Than sure, those. absolutely. Okay. So then the broker goes into the Lloyd's marketplace. Someone from like Aon or Marsh. Aon Benfield are probably the biggest... And they're a broker. And they're, they're a brokership. They have offices uh, right next door in the Lednall building, mm. in the cheese grater. And then they go into... And, it, and, and it's still called The Room, right? It's still called The Room. It's huge. Now, uh, this is probably a nice little segue into Richard Rogers' building, the 1986 building. So, over the years, um, Lloyd's has had many different homes. Uh, it had a couple of different coffee houses. Then it moved into the Royal Exchange, mm -hmm. as I've already mentioned. Moved from the Royal Exchange in 1928, then uh, moved from 1928 into uh, Lednall Street, across the road from where it is now in 1958, and then in 1986 it moved into its current home, uh, which was designed by Lord Richard Rogers, uh, who's quite a famous, he did the Pompidou Centre, and I, also the which, Cheese Because it looks very similar, right? Yeah, the they do. Yeah. So if, you have, if you've not seen Lloyd's, maybe Google it. Uh, no, right. <laughs> it's Snarky. it's on the outside. It's all um, sort of silver piping, and it looks very. If you imagine a a, a shipping container, yeah, it looks right? very a, a container ship. It? Yeah, exactly. And then on the inside, it was meant to be a throwback to a sort of Napoleonic uh, style with lots of wood paneling and very dark uh, grain wood paneling. Um, it doesn't look like that anymore. They've renovated uh, just a few years back. Um, but the room, capital T, capital R, is this huge space that opens out into this wonderful set of galleries with a big glass roof on the top. Um, and it really gives you a feel of energy and a marketplace. They're not all in little offices uh, partitioned off from one another. Everyone can see everyone. Um, if you want an idea in your head, think more like a stock exchange more like a Wall Street stock exchange where everyone can see everyone. Everyone's got their own computer in front of it themselves. And the boxes are now quite open and glass-fronted things. Right. Um, a fun little aside here. Only underwriters can sit at the boxes. Brokers are not allowed to sit at the boxes. They have to stand. No, there are stools. <laughs> they've, oh. they've got stools that are just next to the boxes. A little kind of kiddie chair. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, you're not allowed to book an appointment with an underwriter, is my understanding. If you're a broker, and say you're going to insurance company A mm. uh, with your client's thing, ship, 
and John is sadly dealing with someone and will be dealing with someone for the next two years. <laughs> Sorry, just as you said, two, two hours. He's dealing with somebody, but he's very sad. Well, how big is this shit? <laughs> uh, he's de- and he's probably going to be there for a couple of hours. You have a choice now of either going to your next best option or hanging around for a couple of hours. So you couldn't text John and be like... Technically not allowed. Listen, I've got a hot lead. I'm sure. Again, I'm sure that probably happens somewhere... I've never heard of it happening. My understanding is technically you're not allowed an insu- uh, to to book a, an appointment. Right. Um, and and uh, so in this room, the waiters still play a massive part. To this day, there are uh, waiters is what they're called uh, that basically are administration assistants as well as uh, sort of information points and they walk people around the room they guide people around the biz the uh yeah the the building they put out calls uh over a pa system in the room for various brokers if people are looking for one another in the midst of all that chaos because uh, it can get very busy um and Crucially, could Martha please come to the reception desk, please? John much. is looking for you. That's Martha. Please come to the reception desk. They're still, they still wear liveried uniforms. The waiters. The waiters. They they wear the same sort of tails and buttons that they would have done in the nineteenth century, in the Royal Exchange. And originally, they would waiters and with the, 18th the coffee century. house waiters were just bringing you coffee. They were coffee house and waiters. And your naval secrets. And your naval secrets. But the naval secrets would, back in the coffee house, they would just go up on the walls. Right. They would just be, if there was a new piece of information, it would literally get stuck up on the wall uh, and people would gather around. And then when they hit the Royal Exchange, they had a rather more direct way of referring to, to, to news that had just come in, which brings us neatly back uh, I'm, I'm not that neatly but we're running out of time and you mentioned it earlier to the lutein bell right of course which sits in the middle of the room this uh, in the middle of uh, what looks like a sort of wooden gr- neo classical grecian rostrum as they call it um is a ship's bell from hms lutein or before that la lutein uh, now luta is a uh, a little french goblin as I understand it, translated, a lutin is uh, a a goblin, uh-huh. basically. Yeah, a Christopher Wren light Hello. with a bucket around it. It is me. <laughs> Good answer. Yes, yeah. He's um, Christopher Wren's French brother. Now, of course, ships are female, feminine, so it's not a lutin, it's le lut- la lutine. And that was captured it's in not, a marine not very battle. nice thing to name a ship, is it? I, I, I little, think it's a, the, the little French goblin. A little French goblin. I think it's a rather charming name, yeah. to be honest, especially for a military ship. I mean, you well. know, James Dean's car was called Little Bastard. Well, I still think he's an insurance fraudster. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was captured by the British Navy, and then later in 1799 was asked to basically ferry a million pounds worth of gold and silver bullion. What? From England. Uh, to where? To, I think, the Netherlands. I might be wrong. I mean, at that time in history, probably quite a dangerous journey. Ye- well, it hit a storm. Oh, I meant just from, like, you know, being intercepted oh, uh, by... Pirates and stuff, yeah. The French. Right. Which is why it's a military ship that right. they hired. Um, but also Lo- very Lloyd's he- insured. Very heavy, you'd imagine. Very heavy. Lloyd's insured the entire thing. And then the lutein was lost. In a storm. In a storm. Went down. Um, Lloyd's paid out. No one has ever found the bullion. Hang on, so they found the ship? They found the ship in uh, 1858. A salvage crew so went like down. So like 60 years later? 60 years later. What, and the bullion had just gone? Well, have you heard about riptides? Uh, you mean riptorn? Sorry. The actor who was... <laughs> No, but there are, there are two different kinds, aren't there? There's Riptide and Rip Stream or something. Are you suggesting that a current... Rip, yes, carried away stolen. a million pounds worth of bullion. But bullion's really heavy. And then out into the Atlantic. But it's so heavy. Yeah, so are a lot of other things. What, <laughs> like, what's heavier, a million pounds worth of bullion or 
A million ship. pounds with the feathers. <laughs> Sorry, I've, it's a different question. A ship, you know? Depends how and yet ship ships are carried away, aren't they? Yeah. On currents. So nobody stole it? It's not like Nobody's, there's some... Not that I'm aware of. There's some incredibly wealthy anyway. cartoon lobsters down there. <laughs> Shiny! <laughs> Shiny! That's all they say. They've learned one English word. You've um, watched Moana, right? I haven't. Have you not? No. There is an incredibly wealthy uh, sort of hermit crab which collects jewels. Oh! Who has a song. I, I was right. I was, I was, I suppose, vaguely referencing Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. So was Lin-Manuel Miranda. He, when He's writing, a hack, that man. When, <laughs> when I have, writing... By the way, for the listener to keep up, in previous episodes I've often... My glaring ignorance of Hamilton has been apparent. I have now listened to Hamilton... About 200 times. It's amazing, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's so good. But uh, apparently uh, in interviews he said that uh, while writing Shiny, which is this guy's song, um, this crab's song, uh, he imagined it as Sebastian's Revenge. Wow. From L- The Little Mermaid. And yeah, it's, it's a really great song. I, I need to watch that film. I've heard good things about it. I think it's sung by a member of... I might be making this up, but I think it's sung by one of the... To Flight of the Concords, uh, Brett McKenzie for the movie, or Jermaine Clement. Jermaine, I think, sings it. Do you know I mean, Jermaine Clement does a lot of uh, voice work in movies. I might have made that up, so we'll yeah, find out. It doesn't matter. But yeah, that's what I was referencing. Good. So going back to the lutine, they found the, <laughs> they ship, found the but ship, not the bullion. Not the bullion. They found the bell. Right. And of course, since they paid out, technically, legally, it, they, it, oh, it now owns. Yeah, Lloyd's Corporation now owned it. Well. A bunch of different insurance companies via Lloyd's Corporation owns it, you mean? Yeah, sure. The market owned it. Yeah. And the corporation took control of it. And they put the bell, they hung the bell, not hanged, they hung the bell in the middle of the room, mm-hmm. and it was used to convey good or bad news. So if a ship had gone missing or was overdue, if the lutein bell was rung twice, it had turned up safely in port. If it had rung once... Uh, then it's it is been known to have sunk. Oh right, so one one so you don't necessarily know which ship it is, but basically one ring is a ship has sunk, yeah. and two rings is a ship has arrived in port safely. Yes, basically, and that helped brokers to begin or stop selling reinsurance around the market. Right, basically, um, and then of course after the ringing, it would go in the loss book, and right. one of the waiters would be. Writing it in the lost book. Oh, so it's all done by they, hand. And... They have on to this day. They have on staff two calligraphers. They have a, a main calligrapher, and then a, a a an understudy calligrapher, if you like, right. a backup calligrapher in case your main calligrapher's off sick when the calligraphy needs to happen. And does and does that do they get a lot of work? The calligraphers? Yes, you'd be surprised. Right, and they have to write in the lost book, of course. Yeah, but how often do losses happen? Quite often. Maybe maybe one or two nowadays, maybe one or two a week. All I'm saying is, if I'm a calligrapher and my job is to write something in a book twice a week, pretty cushy. I mean they do other things. Right. <laughs> they don't just they <laughs> they do it they're part of the liveried waiters staff. They okay. don't just sit around with their feathers like <laughs> their their quill. Going, this is the life <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe one or two a week. But interestingly, uh, they display one of the lost books from a hundred years ago. Right. Um, every year. And of course, a hundred years ago, currently, World War One. Yes. Uh, and they have it open on a page where there are seven losses in one day. Wow. Um, in the lost book. So that's a heavy day for the calligrapher, really. So, is that, so you say there's one book per year? Yes, pretty much. But presumably, at times like the First World War... They'd have filled books. the book. Yeah. Or... Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly. Obviously, I wasn't... Oh, so some years they don't fill the book? No. Waste of paper, innit? Yes. Are they big books? Very big. W- waste of even more paper. Tomes. They're tomes, Robert. Okay. <laughs> tome. And a they're tome all, being a big book, yes. They're, they're all kept somewhere in a vault. I know where the vault is. I probably shouldn't tell you on the internet. But yeah, Have you I, been in it? I have not been in it, no. It's very well secured. What, it just contains the Lloyd's Lost books? Amongst other sort of papers, yeah. Is that that valuable? Apparently so. Oh, fair One of the other things that I've not even mentioned yet, we're going over an hour now, 
Uh, I'm really surprised I've been able to talk for an hour about Lloyds of London. We have sidebarred. Oh, but I meant to ask, by the way, what happened to the rest of the lutein? Uh, I don't know. Fair enough. Probably salvaged. They could use it for staff parties. <laughs> yeah, they could. That's what I do. <laughs> I own the <laughs> ship. <laughs> uh, they, they also have a lot of effects and trinkets relating to Lord Admiral Nelson. Or Admiral. Uh, Vice Admiral. Vice Admiral. Vice Admiral of the White Fleet. Um, I'm a big Nelson fan, as you know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Nelson next week. I'm a, I'm a big Wellington enemy. Yes, we'll know. talk about that next week as well. <laughs> I'm sure we will. <laughs> I prefer Nelson to Wellington. Um, but yeah, they, they have all sorts of little trinkets because of the Lloyd's Patriotic Fund, which was founded officially in 1803, but they did a little bit of work from 1798, uh, basically giving money to support those that have been wounded or the families of those who have been uh, grievanced. Grievously bodily harmed. No, they'd had people died. Oh, right. People died. In the Napoleonic people War. died? In the Napoleonic War. Yeah, exactly. And they used to give out swords that were worth X amount, depending on what rank you were. They gave Nelson a big platter set. And basically, uh, Nelson's estate gave a bunch of stuff back to Lloyd's, and it's now displayed. Oh, right. Like a kind of little Nelson little museum. museum. Yeah, a little Nelson museum. Oh. They they have, one of my favourite little things they have, is his combination knife and fork from after he lost his right arm uh, that was commissioned for him by, in fact, the uh, Earl of Spencer at the time uh, so that he was able to cut... So it's a cake the, fork? It's, it's a cake fork. It's a big, fancy, golden cake fork. But was that before cake forks existed? I don't know. Maybe the first ever cake fork. Maybe they were all the rage in Paris, but you can't have them because you're English and we're at war with France. I really hope that was the first ever cake fork. <laughs> I doubt it was. Nah, maybe. I mean, look at Louis the Thirteenth or whatever. He clearly has. They should have given him a spork. A spork. <laughs> but then, how are you going to cut things with a spork? Sheet soup. A bladed spork. Well, you can't eat sp- soup with a spork. You can, can you? just not as much as you could with a spoon. <laughs> so, no. so it's a golden combination knife and fork that's awesome um and they also have his jolly boat what the the the, the, the no like the one i sank in the not north. like the one you sank a jolly boat also refers to after it referred to a small rowboat referred to the um container which the port decanters port and brandy decanters would be in for the captain's meals. Oh, like a kind of model ship. Like a little a... model ship with, right. with two depressions in them for the decanters. And if you were having a good time, you would push the boat out. What? This is abs- I know you think this is complete shit. No, no. You would push the boat out around the table. Which means sharing your... Sharing the alcohol. brandy out. Yeah. We'll call it that then. <laughs> we're really, sh- we're really sharing, sharing the alcohol, alcohol tonight. People you... should be more literal. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's where pushing the boat out comes from. Huh? I did not know that. There you are. What else do they have? They have a, a full scale size portrait of Nelson from after the Battle of Tenerife, Santa Cruz de Tenerife. Is that when he lost the arm? That's when he lost the arm, I believe. I believe he, he got shot in the arm, and then that'll do it. That'll do it. Well, no, that won't do it. Usually, he got shot in the arm. And then demanded that the doctor chop the arm off so that he could go, he could continue to fight later. I believe yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Um, which is which is yeah, sounds like Nelson, doesn't it? They also have Hardy's famous telescope cane right. thing that he he saw no ships. Through, yes, quote of course. Unquote. Man, um, they've got all the they've got all the, all the they've got some pretty Nelson cool stuff. Gubbins. Yeah, they've got some pretty cool stuff. Awesome. Um, is there anything that I haven't touched on? I mean, I've got a bunch of notes here that I haven't mentioned. I feel like I've asked everything I was intending to ask. Oh, one thing that I feel like I should mention is that the first woman worked in Lloyd's. In, would you like to take a guess? Can you remember? Because I know I've mentioned this to you before. I can't remember specifically. It was 1973. Oh, I was going to guess 1980s. 1973, yeah, the first woman. Wow. In uh, any capacity. Underwriter. Right. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I believe she was the first woman in any capacity right. as well. And in 2014, they appointed their first female CEO. Ah. Inga Beale. Is she still the CEO? Currently. 
as the as the, this podcast is being recorded. She oh right, still <laughs> currently it's like well, yeah. <laughs> you you don't think she's going to last long. I I did not say that. No, fair enough. This is going out on the internet. I didn't say that. It's heavily implied. No, I didn't. Why are you winking at me? Well, stop it! <laughs> I'm not winking at anyone. I I do have one final anecdote that I would like because I think it's quite funny. All right. Um, once the chairman of Lloyd's, I've I can't. It was it was either Sir Peter Miller or Sir Peter Green. I haven't been able to confirm which one it was. Once, he forgot his passport coming back into the country. Mm-hmm. And he was able to prove his identity with his Lloyd's pass. Wow! In the eighties, that was that's that's, that's work now, I assume. Probably not. No, <laughs> that's how that's how prestigious Lloyd's has been over the years. Wow! Is that he was able to prove his identity to the border guard with his Lloyd's pass? Did it have a photo on it? Yeah. Well, valid photo ID then. Well, it's not. No, it's not nationally recognised, is it? Well, but it's got Lloyd's. Of London on it, and it's got the crest and everything, with the motto "Fidentia." Probably quite easy to fake, I imagine. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need for that, is there? Well, is that is, is that? I think that might be it. Excellent. Well, this has been most enlightening about the insurance business, about Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's of London. I didn't talk much about the building. Um, well, the, 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 it's it's incredibly controversial. The building. And it's also the the youngest grade one listed building in the country. Oh, really? So I feel I like it, uh, in nineteen 19- as in it's as in it's the it's the overall youngest building or it's the one that's had the listing for the least amount of time. Yeah? Both. What? It's the most recently listed building. No, no, no. Grade one listed. Is it the most recent building? That's I been... don't know. No, fair enough. Most recent grade one listing? No, I don't know. No, but but I it's mean, the youngest. It's building the youngest to... building I to understand. have been grade one listed. Sorry, I did. I didn't that's understand the right. clarification. Um, nineteen eighty-seven. It does. Yeah, he said it's all right, but his his face says it's not all right, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Listen, we'll talk about this off mic. Uh, year of my birth. Nineteen. You're joking. Nineteen eighty-seven. Of what course. Would be a weird joke to make. And you're a grade one listed person, aren't you? I am. Oh. Officially. So there you are. You're as old you're, as the hills. You're, ne- you're nearly <laughs> as old as Richard the grade Rogers. One listing of the yeah. Lloyd's building. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, that's true. <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah, no, I guess. Well, thank you, Leo, for talking us through your uh, extensive knowledge of Lloyd's of London. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> How did you manage that? A sideswipe there. Your extensive knowledge. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. It came out that way. Uh, thank you, as ever, for being here and being you. Oh, uh, thanks, buddy. This has been the episode about Lloyds of London. You have been... Leo West. I have been... Rob Brimston. Thank you. Uh, and that was By The Way with Rob and Leo. By The Way. But Yes. You said with Rob and Leo. You finally said Wait, it. Wait, was I... You don't usually say it. Am I not supposed to say it? That's fantastic. What? Oh, I win. No, take it back. I take it back. I take it back. No. <laughs>